Father, we pray for forgiveness in ways that we have put our works above you and when our interests come before you and that when we work and work and work and live as if this world is our home and that this is all we have in life and we demonstrate to the world that we aren't expecting a hope, the hope of your return. Lord, forgive us for those lifestyles and the times that we get so bogged down. God, direct now our hearts and our minds upon the heavenly things where you are, Lord, where our life is hidden. Uh, may we see ourselves as at one with you because of what Jesus has done and find rest there, knowing that this world has not as much to offer us as you have to offer us. So God, bless us as we live for you. May the world see your blessing through our lives. We pray this because, Lord, we want you to be glorified. And we want the world to see your image through us, that you can be worshipped from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So, Lord, guide us through your word in Genesis, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, we'll look at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God took a break. Now day seven is distinct in many ways like day two was. Day two was the one day, you might recall, that God did not say after his creative work that it was good. The only day, day two, he just never said it is good. But every other day he said it is good. And on the third day he said it is good twice. And we scratch our heads and wonder, but as I, the only thing I can come up with is that God possibly doesn't like Mondays, just like you and me. Sunday was good, day two, no, not good. <laughs> the only thing I can think of, but <laughs> not, not on a serious note, of course, but we, we looked at and, um, how there's actually, I think there's some significance there to it because that's when he, he expanded um, he separated the waters from the waters, so he created sky and had the waters down there, and the waters, we talk about the water canopy possibility up top, but how when we have bad days, we get to realize that we, like the waters, have been severed from this earth, and we have now been given a seat with Jesus Christ in the heavens. Ephesians 2 tells us that. That is our home. So when we have that not good day, and things are grim, and we can't seem to grin. Well, all we have to do is remember that we're pilgrims. And our home is in heaven. Um, day 7, in many ways, reminds us of that same principle that this isn't our home. God finished. Day 7 was significant like day 2 because it was one of the unique days in which he rested. He did something different on this day that he didn't do on any other day. I want to look tonight at 
what the Sabbath means through the Bible in relation to its different entities. Um, God, creation, Israel, the church, and eschatology, a theological term for the future. All these things, how do they fit in the Sabbath? What does it mean to all those things? And then, um, why should we even care about the Sabbath? And then lastly, um, how should we observe the Sabbath? Now you might wonder, Brandon, where are you coming up with the Sabbath? That word isn't in here. Well, because it is on this seventh day that God rested, and he told the Israelites later, fourth commandment of the ten, that because I rested, you too should rest. And they called it the Sabbath. And so this is why we're looking at it, because the Sabbath idea comes from this section of the Bible. And God bases one of the most peculiar laws in all of history when he told the Israelites, you need to rest. It's my command to you. You have to rest. No other culture in history was commanded, at least in, at that time, commanded to rest. They, agri- they, they worked with agriculture. You had to work the fields every day or you didn't get food. It was unheard of, but God said, no, rest. And this is where it comes from. Now, I do want to point out what, what is really neat about the number 7. Anytime you read the number 7 in the Bible, it refers to completion. And we see this system throughout the universe. You look at music, 7 notes complete the scale. You look at our week cycle, which comes from the creation account, you have 7 days that completes a week. And in the creation narrative, number seven is woven into its fabric. For example, referring to the Hebrew, because our English translations vary, but in the Hebrew, the first verse has seven words. The second verse has 14 words. So, seven, seven, seven. The name of God is mentioned 35 times. That's seven times five. The heavens and the earth are mentioned 21 times. 7 divided by, or 7 times 3. Um, the creeping things and the phrase, it was good, each are mentioned 7 times. And then, when you get to chapter 2, you have in these 3 verses, 35 words, and 21 of those 35 words are separated into three sentences of seven words each, and each of those sentences containing the phrase, the seventh day. (laughs) I think Moses, whom we believe penned Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the rest of the book, I think he had purpose and artistic poetic skill woven into this account. And so seven is a significant um, theme in the creation. And here we come to the seventh day and God rests. He does three significant things. Number one, as we talked about, he rests. That simply means he ceased. He stopped. He completed his work. Then it says that he blessed the seventh day, meaning he set that day as a model for a blessed life. And we'll get into this. And then he called it holy which means he set that part aside as different and special than the other six days. So this is God's special day, the seventh day, the Sabbath day. 
Well, what did the Sabbath mean to God? I'll tell you right now. When it says that he rested, it does not mean that God was tired. Oh, man. Especially after making man and woman, I am exhausted. I'm going to go take a nap. And there he rested. No, God doesn't get tired, and that's not why he rested. God looked at his work and said, the last verse of chapter 1 said, and he saw that it was very good. And he looked at it, he was satisfied, and he said, it's done. My work is over. I am now going to move on to Oh, I don't know what God would have done at that stage. But he, he put the pen down, if you will. He wrote the end of creation, and it was done. This means nothing's going to be recreated or added to creation. It was done. He rested. And that's one of the fundamental problems of evolution, is, is the theory that things continually shape themselves into newer species. But God simply said, it's done. I'm not going to do anything more. There is a movement in the church today, and it's actually gaining steam, unfortunately, where we have this problem, we are creationists, according to the Bible, but in science, there's evolution, and a lot of good people claim it's proven, um, of course we have the other side that say it's not, a whole other discussion, of course. So we, we have this problem as Christians. We, we believe in creation and in a sovereign God who can do that. But at the same time, culture is shoving evolution down our throats. And so what some Christians do to find a middle ground between, well, the world says this, maybe it's plausible, but we say creation, they take the middle approach. And it's gaining steam. Thousands of pastors have signed a letter that say, we agree to this. They say, okay, we believe in theistic evolution. Which means God, theistic, uses evolution. So they say, the Big Bang, no problem. That was God's doing. He spoke, bang, it happened, and he pretty much let everything collide, and then he stepped off. And he's using evolution to bring about the world. Well, the problem with that is you can't take Genesis 1 literally, which talks about seven days. What you have to do is stretch each day into an um, era of thousands or millions of years. So day one, who knows how long that was? Four billion years. Day two, stretched out to a few thousand. Day three, and so on. But God said, it's done. Things aren't still evolving and expanding. And what this says about God is that He, excuse me, He perfects, He finishes that which He puts into motion and starts. When it said in verse 1 of chapter 1, in the beginning God created, then we come to the end and He rested. He finished what he set out to do. God doesn't stop short. He doesn't change his mind. And he doesn't give up and say, you know what? I, I thought this was going to work out better. And when he started to make man, I, I know he's going to sin. I just quit. Never mind. Forget this. God went in with a purpose. And he works until the purpose is perfected into completion. 
Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12.2, that God is the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. He's going to finish it. Every promise in the Bible is going to come to pass. You're not going to be saved and then somewhere along the line God forgets you or you mess up your salvation and you're going to end up in eternal damnation and oh my gosh, Lord, how'd that happen? You don't have to worry. God has your life in order and He's going to bring it to completion and He's not going to take your life until He's done with you. And some people say, and I think it's so clever, you're immortal until God chooses that you've served your purpose on this earth. And that's encouraging to know. God's going to finish what He starts. That's what creation, that's what the Sabbath means to God. Now let's look at what it means to creation. And yes, God cares about creation. He wanted to give creation rest. And um, it's in Exodus chapter 23 that God talks about His care for creation in the Sabbath. He tells the Israelites that they must keep the Sabbath because you shall let the land lie in rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat. And when they leave the beasts of the field, um, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. God says, observe the Sabbath because the land is not meant to be beat to death day in and day out, 24-7, 365 days a year. It's not meant to be beat up like that. I care about my land, give it rest one day a week. And the oxen and the donkeys and the horses, don't work those things to death. I care about them. Give them rest. And it's kind of sad when you um, think about the chicken coops where they make all the eggs and they have all these hundreds, thousands of chickens boxed together so closely that literally they're missing feathers on the sides because they're rubbing together and they live in this artificial lighting, lights on 24-7 and they're fed 24-7 so that they can basically pop out eggs 24-7. These chickens are born and raised to pop eggs every moment of their life till they die. And God would say to that, give it a rest. Is the American green dollar that worth it? And to him he says, I mean, I care about my creation. Just let the creation rest. Well, the Sabbath in relation to Israel is really the biggest theme here. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, you see where God officially institutionalizes the Sabbath day for his people. Exodus 20, verse 8. The fourth commandment reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For, catch this, 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Because I created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, Israel, you, work for six, rest on the seventh. Now, that right there dispels the theistic evolution approach that says each day represents a couple thousand or million years because God right there flatly says though it was seven literal 24-hour days because he said, I created the world in six days, rested on the seventh, and according to that same model, you work six days and rest the seventh. God didn't say work six eras of thousands of years and then rest the seventh. So right there, God dispels theistic evolution, and we see that it's really not a, it's not a valid belief for a Christian. But God says, because I rested, you rest. The command. Now this is interesting. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. In this chapter, God is re-giving the Ten Commandments. Moses is reiterating them. He's telling them again, right before Israel goes into the Promised Land. But what's interesting is how he phrases this fourth commandment. He phrases it differently. Deuteronomy 5.12 Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord, and on that you shall do, uh, no, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your servant, your so and so forth and so forth, that your servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now, verse 15 is where it, it's pretty much the same. Verse 15 is where it changes. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. In Exodus, keep the Sabbath because God rested after His work. You need a rest. You're human. You're not a machine. Rest. And then in Deuteronomy, let's add another element, Israel. Because I also liberated you from Egypt, from that bondage, keep the Sabbath. To remind yourself, when you're working through the day, we were slaves and we had to work. But the seventh day, we get to exercise a free man's choice to rest and dwell upon the, and dwell in the land that God is going to be giving us, the promised land. So the Sabbath then became a reminder of their liberation, their redemption from slavery. And it links into creation perfectly because... Creation was liberated from the chaos of chapter 1, verse 2. There was this lifeless chaos, and God delivered it from that and brought life and form, and, um, and He filled it and brought creation. Well, Israel was under this chaos of slavery, and He liberated them from that and brought them into life and to flourishing into a fruitful nation. So this is the Sabbath. Remember your redemption, O Israel. And now, last significance for Israel is in, back to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, verse 13. It's that the Sabbath is a sign of a special relationship with God. 
It's a sign. Exodus 31.13 You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know it, that I, or that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It's a sign of their covenant with God that only they, Israel, had with God. A special relationship. Now, all covenants had a sign, okay? Go back to Noah. God made the covenant with Noah and said, I'll never flood the world again. What sign did he give him? The rainbow. Go to Abraham. Your offspring will be blessed. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. What sign did he give Abraham? No, not the rainbow. <laughs> he gave him the sign of circumcision. The well, there's, I'm not going into detail why that's a significant sign. Um, the third, in the Old Covenant, the Sabbath was the sign of this covenant God had with the Israelites. And in the New Covenant, which we exercise today, we use the sign a few minutes ago downstairs. It's the cup, the communion cup. At the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, when Jesus had his disciples, he took the cup and he said, this is the sign of the New Covenant in my blood. And so, every covenant has a sign. The Sabbath was a sign that we have a special relationship with the Creator of the universe. That's what it means to Israel. Of course, they refused to keep it. Um, in fact, when they went to Babylon for 70 years, Chronicles tells us that that was to pay the debt they owed to the Sabbath. They didn't keep the Sabbath enough um, talking about they, they had six years of work and a seventh year of rest as well as the day system or the year system they didn't keep the seven year rest system so God said 70 years of Babylon so that the land gets its rest you didn't give it so they refused to keep the law and on the flip side when they came back from Babylon they said never again will we not keep the Sabbath so this is what we're going to do this is the rule of the Sabbath. We're going to put rules around the rule to make sure that in case we break any rules, we're not breaking the rule, we're just breaking our rules. You see, they're putting fences around it to make sure they never break it. And that was the tension Jesus experienced with the Pharisees when they criticized him of breaking the Sabbath for hewing people. But he said, you guys don't get it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You guys are exercising abuse over the Sabbath by adding laws to it and making it not a day of rest, but a day of worry and toil. The law, I've got to keep all these rules. It was really ridiculous. Even to this day where they will not turn on a light switch or start their car because one of the Pharisaic laws was that you couldn't ignite a fire. That was work. So you start your car, you ignite a fire. You turn on a light switch, you ignite a fire. You can't press buttons on the elevator because that's work. So as I found out the hard way when I was in Israel, on the Sabbath day, um, don't take the elevator because it stops at every floor lest they touch a button. So if you're up on the 12th floor, you have a long ride up, a very annoying ride. That's, um, it's even to this day, they've abused the Sabbath. So that's Israel. What about us? the church. What does the Sabbath mean to us? Essentially nothing more than a model. In the New Testament, every single one of the Ten Commandments is reiterated somewhere in the New Testament except for the commandment, keep the Sabbath. Nowhere is that commanded. It's not required. 
However, though I say that, God blessed the Sabbath day because it's a model of a blessed life. So it's not required, but it is recommended. The reason it's not required is because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath for us. We no longer have to work for salvation, but Jesus worked for us, and now we get to rest. You see, God rested on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, but you know what happened when Adam sinned? He had to stop his rest, and he went right back to work. Doing what? Working redemption and salvation for man. Why in John 5, verse 17, Jesus says, I and the Father are working. They're working redemption. But on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The work is done. So now we rest when we believe in Jesus. Our salvation is paid for. It's done. And we enjoy the blessed restfulness of salvation through the work of Christ. Um, I'm going to read you two passages that make clear that Jesus has fulfilled our Sabbath. In Hebrews 4, verse 9, it says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest in Jesus, so that no one may, fit, may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And the context in there is all talking about Sabbath rest. It's interesting read if you ever get the time. Um, then in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in regards to da-da-da-da-da and the Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The, sa- the, the, the Sabbath was a shadow of the substance, which is Christ. So the Sabbath said, rest is coming. Jesus came and brought it and said, here's the substance. So Jesus fulfilled our Sabbath. And um, therefore, the Sabbath is a recommendation just simply for our rest. But, interestingly enough, Jesus was in the grave on the Sabbath day, but he came out of the grave on the next day, Sunday, the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. And then, that's when the church started to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week. So the Sabbath, in effect, was moved from Saturday to Sunday, and that is where the church observes the rest, the benefits of the Sabbath, that God set this day apart, so we set it apart to worship Him. Now, the Sabbath serves for us a celebration of Jesus' resurrection, in which He liberated us from the bondage of sin. Just like He told Israel, observe the Sabbath because you were liberated from Egypt. You're free. We too are free from our sin. Therefore, observe the Sabbath by celebrating His resurrection on Sundays, or whatever day you can. It's not set in stone. Remember, it's not required. It's recommended. So celebration, it also means for us an illustration. And this is cool. You see, in the Old Covenant, the Sabbath was on the last day. They had to work, 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 and on the last day rested. But in the New Covenant, the Sabbath is on the first day. And then you work. What does that illustrate? 
Without Christ, you have to work, work, work to get your rest of salvation. But with Christ, with grace, you get your salvation. And then you work out of that salvation. Just like Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were by grace, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. But this grace enables and empowers you to walk in the works God wants you to do. So, our rest comes first, then our works. So that's what it illustrates for the church. And, finally, what the Sabbath means to God, to creation, to Israel, to the church, and lastly to eschatology, to the future events. This is interesting, okay? There are what some scholars say dispensations in the Bible. Now, don't get weirded out. A dispensation is simply a time period in which God chose to operate over humanity in a set way. Okay? There's seven of these dispensations. So God changes his form of working among man seven times through the Bible. Now, not everyone agrees with this view. But there is a large majority, and I believe um, Pastor Mike and any sort of leadership here believes in the dispensations. Um, There are a lot of people that see this in the Bible. Now these dispensations, notice by the way, the number seven, okay? You're already seeing the significance of the Sabbath. The first dispensation was that of innocence. And that was in the garden with Adam and Eve. God governed them through their innocence. But that dispensation ended when man sinned and fell. So God then worked the second dispensation of human conscience. Man was held accountable and governed by his conscience. But that method obviously messed up because when you go all the way to the flood, it says that all man ever thought about was evil continually. (laughs) Man was corrupt. And so God said, alright, time to judge this. And then came the third dispensation after the flood, which was human government, where God established to Noah, listen, if anyone's going to murder anyone, you murder them. Or put them to death, penalty, not really murder. That was, the, that was the initiation of human government, according to God. And so the third dispensation was in effect, but even this dispensation went haywire because it led up to the Tower of Babel where man rebelled against God, and so God judged that and dispersed them, and he brought in the fourth dispensation of promise, where he called um, Israel, he called Abraham to become Israel, to be his special working through the world, and he gave promises to Abraham. Well, he then moved from that dispensation of promise to the fifth dispensation of law. When Israel was brought to Mount Sinai, and you could say that, um, well, He brought him to Mount Sinai. He gave him his law. So now the dispensation is God is working through his law over man. But that one ended when Jesus came on the earth and died. Our sin was judged on him. And God ushered in the sixth and present dispensation of grace. And that's what we now operate under. Not the law. That was the old dispensation. We work under grace. Well... That's the sixth one. Where's the seventh? 
That's what's in the future. You see, God said, six days you shall work, the seventh is holy, it's blessed. That's the, that's the day of rest. We have been working and toiling under the curse of sin for six dispensations, but when Jesus comes back and restores this earth through the garden-type setting, and He brings rest to creation, and He arrests the curse, and He gives rest to humankind, that's the dispensation of rest. And we will have that millennial kingdom of rest. So that's what the Sabbath means to eschatology. The whole thing is a system showing the history, the present, and the future of God's plan. We will look forward to a future rest. Amen. Well, briefly, that's what the Sabbath means. Um, why should we observe the recommendation of the Sabbath? Why should we? What are the benefits? Name, basically, it's this. You need rest. And so do I. Why, why is it beneficial to us? Why did God call this day blessed? Observing the Sabbath is very beneficial. And let me clarify. There's two forms, okay? We're, we're talking about observing the Old Testament form and the New Testament form. Old Testament form being observe it for physical rest, and New Testament form observe it for spiritual rest in Christ, worshiping Him. So recreation and worship, the two go together. Why is this beneficial to us? I came up with five reasons that this is beneficial to us. And the first, and I think the most important reason we ought to observe the Sabbath and rest is to remind us that we are not God. You see, so often I get in the mindset of, man, I hate sleep. Sleep is worthless. Sleep is just occupying a third of your life, unconscious like a dog, <laughs> just laying there, and like, holy cow, like, I should be working, I should be ministering, I could be studying the Bible, I could be preparing for messages, I could be writing, um, well, I, I'm, I like to work on writing stories, um, maybe it'll be a book one day, but I doubt I have the talent for that, so anyway, you know, work on, I have stuff to write and people to contact, and why sleep? There's so much to do, so much to grow in, and you guys are feeling it with your essays and your projects. <laughs> why did God make us sleep? Why didn't He just let us work 24-7 and we'd be more productive? Because if we did, we'd forget who's God. We forget that we have needs and that we're dependent upon someone else. We forget that we have weaknesses. Because we eat, we rest, we sleep. Because God wants you to remember, I'm still over your life and you need me. You are not God. And man, when we get in that mindset of work, 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 you can become so satisfied with our accomplishments and never even think outside of that. And we, we really become our own gods. And look at my creation, look at my work, my accomplishments. Take a break from it, man. Just remember, you're not God, I am. So, remind us that we're not God. Number two, second reason for the Sabbath. To put us into the proper motivation for work. We can easily forget why we're working. And it can turn into greed. It can turn into, i got to work seven days a week. i got to plug away at school so I can, you know, and um, not school's good and all, okay? But, um... But some, uh, I, I know people that take it so far, they stress themselves out. And it's a proper motivation. Why are you doing your schoolwork? Why are you working? It's to remind us when we take the break, 
really, God only tells us to work for our necessities. He's only promised to provide our daily bread. He didn't say you're going to be wealthy and you're going to have an abundance. It's to have that proper motivation in our work, that I am working, really, just to supply my needs. And I'm doing it for God, not for greed. I'm doing it for His glory. So the proper motivation. Number three, we take the Sabbath to anticipate our future rest. Man, when you come to church on Sundays or Sunday night or maybe you're a Monday nighter or a Wednesday nighter, wherever your Sabbath is, that you take that time to worship God, let that be your exercising and anticipation of a future rest. And that gives you hope in your work today to realize this is not man's chief aim, is to work and die in the dust. It's to get by and that we will one day rest forever in perfect satisfaction. We take the Sabbath, number four, to demonstrate trust in the provision of God. It is so tempting for us to think, work seven days, never stop, because I'm going to get more money, I'm going to go broke if I don't. What's going to happen to the company? And this, of course, this is more applicational when you get older, but what's going to happen to the company if I'm not there 24-7? I've got to have the phone on at all times in case someone calls me. These people go crazy. They're balls of stress. But just taking that day of rest demonstrates your trust in God's provision while you're away. Just take the break. God will take care of it. Number five, why the Sabbath? To enjoy recreation and, in, and reduce Stress. Enjoy recreation and reduce stress. Now, what's interesting about that word recreation is in there is creation. I have a feeling that when God wants us to be in recreation mode, He wants us to be enjoying His work, His creation. See, I don't mean that you should take your rest by sitting in front of the tube all day. This is amazing. Oh, creation, Discovery Channel. This is great. I think that God would... And we would be more blessed if maybe we spent more time doing creation stuff. Go to the beach. Go snowboard. I know, that's not a problem for most of you. Go snowboarding. Go take a walk through the woods with your Bible and a prayer on your heart. Recreation. And also alleviate your stress. Just oh. Number five, re- uh, reason for the Sabbath. Actually, I'm on number six. I guess there's six of them. Number six, to remember that it's a holy day to worship God. Right, we need to set apart, not just, and we should be worshiping God always, but we need to set apart a special time when we gather as believers to glorify God. So those are the six reasons for the Sabbath. Now I'm going to move towards our close with how do we observe the New Testament, Old Testament form of the Sabbath? Some practical ways I've discovered in my personal life of how to keep this um, And I I can't go into too much detail because then I'll become a Pharisee. But the number one rule to the Sabbath is not to put rules on it, okay? It's made for your rest, not for obeying rules. Um, Remember, it's a recommendation, not a requirement. And it's for your benefit, as we saw the six reasons why. But how to keep the Sabbath. Um, For example, I... Sunday is... If I was not a pastor... Sunday would be my Sabbath day. The perfect time to worship God. Take the afternoon to um, take a walk with my girlfriend in the park. You know, foster your families, your friendships. Be real, not just the football game. And then even for 
the cherry on top of the ice cream, come to Sunday night church. <laughs> you know, that to me would be an ideal Sabbath. But now because I'm a pastor, um, Sunday is my hardest day. This is not a day of rest for me. It's a day of enjoyment, sure. But physically and emotionally and spiritually, I'm drained, okay? Monday morning, tomorrow, that's my Sabbath day. And I don't wake up until I wake up tomorrow because I'm just drained. Um, and as some of you don't know, but I, this is not my only duties on Sunday. It's Sunday morning down at my other church, too. So, you know, this is like double play Sunday. <laughs> and so tomorrow, that's my Sabbath. I'm going to crash. And what I love to do is because I don't actually get to sit in a teaching, um, I download sermons from um, my favorite teacher, and I will take the day, and my favorite, especially when it's warm, is to go to the beach and just listen to the message with my Bible open and a heart praying to the Lord, just sitting with Him, and then um, just enjoying the rest of my day with a friend or just taking that rest, that much-needed rest. I don't work myself to the ground. So my experience, though, in this, real quick, because I know we're going to end right here, um, five quick ways how to incorporate the Sabbath into your life. Number one, set aside time. When God said that He made the Sabbath day holy, that's what it means. He set it aside. Don't just live and say, well, if it happens, it happens. Make Sunday, or wherever your Sabbath is, your goal. Set that day aside. And in setting it aside, number two, jealously guard that set-aside time. Don't just say, okay, I set it aside. Oh, man, all these things are coming up. Well, I guess Sunday's open. I'll do that meeting on Sunday. I'll uh, do that project on Sunday, that paper. I'll write that Sunday night. No, jealously guard that time as your set-aside time. Number three, balance recreation and worship by blending and separating them. You get that? Balance recreation and worship by blending them and separating them. And what I mean by that is we need to worship and rest, but do them together. However you use your recreation, make sure it's a way that worships God, that you can enjoy God. And then in your worship, make sure it's not something that tires you. Make sure it's something that's restable. So bring them in a blend, but at the same time keep them separate. Worship is still worship. Recreation is still recreation. Don't think that because I'm recreating, I'm worshiping. You need to keep both of them, but at the same time find ways to, while you're doing both of them, incorporate one into the other. Makes sense. Number four. Don't procrastinate your projects until Sunday or your Sabbath. I know all that, and you're working at school all day, and then most of the week, though, you come home, you're lazy, and you're procrastinating, and then Sunday, oh, great. The paper's due tomorrow, or whatever day, you know. It's due tomorrow, and you're a ball of stress, staying up all night. Just don't procrastinate it. And especially don't procrastinate it till Sunday. Let that be your rest day. And number five, lastly, don't get legalistic over your Sabbath. Alright? These are just recommendations. They're helpful. But don't get all, you know, haywire. Look, something might come up on Saturday that's important. Pray about it and do it. Find your Sabbath somewhere else if you need to. But at the same time, set it aside. So just don't get legalistic. Just follow the Lord, love Him, find your rest in worship and recreation. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You, you demonstrated this model of rest. And some of us have the temptation of being workaholics. And Lord, I pray for them that You would give them rest to their souls, that they would observe a Sabbath 
finding physical and spiritual rest in you. God, on the other side, I know there's lazy people and their whole life is nothing but rest. Lord, I, I pray that you would motivate them to learn the blessing of six days of work as well. God, may we find that balance of rest and work and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.